Good morning, RCC friends and family. We are so happy that you're here with us today. There are probably a million churches streaming right now, and we're really happy that you chose ours, and I think that you chose ours for a reason. I think that there's something really special that God wants to say to you today. And so I want you to be encouraged by this verse in Jeremiah where it says, seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. So if you're seeking this morning or if you're new on your Christian journey or if you've been on it for a while, God has something in store for you today. And I want you to know that you don't have to walk this walk alone. In fact, the Christian walk is meant to be in community. And so this morning, we have a few ways for you to feel connected. If you're social, feel free to jump into our comments, say hello, make a friend, comment on the service, feel free to be social in that way. And if you're creative, send us a video or a photo of you worshiping with your family. You can tag us at River City ATL or use our hashtag RCC Church Everywhere. And if you're feeling really creative and really bold, send Bill a video, 20 to 25 seconds, as creatively as you can, saying hello to RCC family. You will send that to bill at rivercitysmyrna.com. If you're craving spiritual connection today, stay tuned to the very end of service. We're going to have a virtual communion for you. And if you are looking forward to our next Zoom call, it's going to be this Thursday at 8. The focus is going to be all about breaking bread. It's part of our prayer listening series. And also we're going to have a little bit of videos throughout the week of prayer testimonials. So be looking out for those as well. And if you are feeling a bit of Zoom fatigue, like let's be honest, it's starting to set for everyone, look in our guide today. We're going to have some really great tips of how to combat Zoom fatigue. And if you don't have your guide for today's service, it'll be on Facebook and you can download it there. Now, I have one message for our parents before we jump into our psalm, and it is a one camp announcement. So this is from our pastors, Jonathan and Kara. It says, after much thought, the network board has decided that we will not be having the one camp this year. The board will send a vi um, sorry, the board will send an email showing how they arrived to that decision. And although there is much sadness, there is also much anticipation of how the Lord is going to show up and move in the lives of our youth. So if you are a parent of someone who is getting ready to do one camp, we just ask that you be in prayer and that you have a posture of hope to see what God is going to do this summer because we believe that he's going to do something. So this morning we're going to jump into our lectionary passage. Every Sunday we read with thousands of other churches connected with the lectionary. Today's lectionary passage is going to be from Psalm 68, 1 through 10. And it says, God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall be driven away. As max, uh, sorry, as wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exult before God, and they shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the desert. His name is the Lord, exult before him. Father of the fatherless, protector of the widow, is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. But those rebellious dwell in a parched land. O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, and the heavens poured down rain before God, the one of Sinai, 
before God, the God of Israel. Reign in abundance, O God, you shed abroad. You restore your inheritance as it languished, your flock found in a dwelling place in it. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, and the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. And so God, your word says that you are a father to a fatherless people, and that you put prisoners in places of prosperity. And Lord, we are living in a season of unknown, in a season that seems like it's full of lack and restriction. But Lord, we know to you that you see an abundant place, that you see a place for your people to come and begin to know you and to settle down and to focus their eyes and their hearts to what you are really saying. And so, Lord, we press in into the spirit of this season and we receive your call back home. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Before we begin prayers of the people, I want to read a passage from a psalm that's been on my heart as I was prepping for prayers of the people. It says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from their earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He del delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them, from them all. He protects all his bones, and not one of them will be crushed. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord res will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Go pray with me. For the universal church, its members, and its mission, we lift up all believers who are experiencing oppression and persecution in the midst of the pandemic. Would your presence bring comfort and would your hand be on the homes and the individuals living with uncertainty? We specifically pray for the continued oppression and devastation of the 620 Nigerian Christians who have been murdered so far in 2020 and those who are continuing to experience such terrible acts at the hands of Boko Haram. Would you bring comfort to those impacted by the loss, protection to those living in fear, and justice for those? Would your hope be made tangible through the hand? 
hands for the Board of Educators making decisions for our students, the faculty, and staff. Be with the teachers as they approach a year with uncertainty, not knowing how COVID will impact their education experience next year. Provide comfort, safety, and stability as students are in homes that may or may not provide safety and stability. We ask for resources to be made available to those impacted by the Smyrna fires in the apartments this past week. Would you make a way for them to be physically safe and restore all that was lost to them? Hey, RCC family, happy Family Sunday. Wanted to come back to you again this month and give you another finance update. If you can remember last month, we gave you one during a service and then had a Zoom conference call to talk more about it. Give you guys an opportunity to ask questions and share the state of our finances. 
About a month ago, we were in a spot where we, we were projecting about 25% less giving than the month before. It seemed like it was going on a negative trajectory. We talked to the body, shared our needs, expressed the desire that all of our bodies start giving, and we saw a great response, a very positive response. We saw multiple new family units start giving. We saw people that decide to give more. And in some cases, I had people just call me and say, listen, I, I don't give because I didn't know how to set it up yet, and then set it up. And we, we definitely feel there's more of a buy-in overall. Some of our goals for our whole body um, as we move into this new season uh, where we are distancing but also figuring it out are that we have people who are bought in. If you can remember, at the beginning of the year, we actually created some, uh, some pots, and one of them was ownership, and it says, Lord, we pray that the RCC family will take ownership for their prospective roles in the work that you desire to do through RCC, both within RCC and beyond in the community surrounding RCC. We pray that the entire RCC family would partner with what you are doing through RCC and buy in to the vision that you have given RCC for its purpose and community. A couple of the ways that we do that are our presence together, even in social distancing or physical distancing cases, our prayers together, our financial gifts together, our talents together, and our mission together. But we feel like this has been a very positive movement. We want to celebrate that with you and say thank you for responding. And thank you for those who have been praying. Why it's important is because in this new normal that we're in, we will still have needs and possibly more needs where we're trying to move from being a church that survives to thrives. And um, as you know, we're talking through different hires and different positions to add to our staff. And as you continue to give and as everyone gives, it makes those conversations uh, better to have, more faithful to have. Because we don't want to be a church that is always in need, but a church that's able to meet needs. And if we continue in the direction we're going, I think we're going to be blessed in the long run. And so if there is a challenge point, and there always is, there is roughly 25 households that are a part of our body that don't give to our body. And if that's the case, we don't want to cr create shame in you, but we want to ask a few questions. One, are you in need? If you are in need, we want to actively help you, and that means financially. And you can just express that to us through our emails, or you can talk to one of us. If you're not in need and you don't desire to give, we would just offer ourselves to have conversations with you, either theologically or practically what that means. Maybe your questions are more practical in nature, like what, are, what is the money going towards? We want to share that with you. We want to divulge that information. We're actually going to start the second week of every month giving a brief overview on the prayer wall with an invitation to another Zoom meeting to talk through any questions that are had. And the last thing I would say about it to those people who desire not to give or who are still unsure what it means, giving is a spiritual act. It's not just a physical thing. It's a way for us to say that we trust God with our finances. And if we desire to be a church that thrives in all these areas, the way that we're present with one another, the way that we live on mission with one another, the way that we meet needs, we would ask that you would ask God to guide you and your family in what it means to be people who give. And I know from experience that as you give in anything, whether it's a team that your kids are on, an organization that you're a part of, or the body of Christ, if you're a part of giving, you take a different kind of ownership in it. You ask more questions, and you should, and the ownership is transferred. So we are asking for everybody in our body to step deeper into what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And we, we do want to say thank you so much for those that have prayed, listened, responded, and helped. It's one of the most positive months that we've actually ever had this month in our history as a church. And so we need to celebrate that. We need to say 
thank you to God for helping that happen. And thank you for our people for being faithful and continuing to give. All right, let's go ahead and jump in. If you have your Bibles, will you go ahead and open up to John 17? We're going to get to that passage in a minute as we get into the Word today. But before I start, I just wanted to give you kind of a quick recap over the last few weeks of what we've been seeing. Some of the passages have been some of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. As we've seen the life of Jesus and the disciples who seem to continue to be being developed. Even the invitations of Jesus to us to become listeners, to his disciples, to become sheep who trust that he's going ahead. To build that kind of interaction in a space where we start to learn the way the Father speaks to us or the shepherd speaks to the sheep. Last week, Jordan preached an amazing message built around Paul's experience in the Areopagus, where it seems like he's taking cues from Jesus to step into a city and listen to the conversations that are happening. One of my all-time favorite passages, where Paul somehow knows how to, with wisdom and the guidance of the Spirit, have the, have the conversations guided back towards Christ. We learn a lot from listening, right? That's why we've been in listening prayer for a month. And I hope to hear from many of you what you've been hearing for the body, what you've been hearing in the world. And these examples that we've been talking through are examples of Jesus listening to his Father, the disciples listening to Jesus, the disciples listening to the world, and then responding in, in likeness to what they're hearing, right? Whether it's obedience to the Father, or if it's compassion to people in need, or if it's just stepping in in ways, or sometimes even waiting, the invitations are. And so our world right now, one of the best conversations I've had a chance to listen to recently came from a podcast called Church Pulse Weekly. You've heard us talk about it a few times. And one of the biggest conversations happening in the church world right now is what's happening, either an interruption or a disruption. And there's a lot of heated conversation going on about whether this is just a thing that's going to happen so that we can go back, an interruption, or if it's a disruption, which means, is this something that's happened that is changing the way we will do things? I'm definitely in the camp that this is a disruption, uh, and I don't necessarily see it as a negative thing at this point. And so what kind of things has it removed from us and what kind of new normals, I guess it depends on how you look at it, but some of the positives have been churches right now are unifying in ways they maybe wouldn't have before. We're actually a part of a group of churches all over Georgia that have decided to just collect videos from churches and post those through all of our social media feeds to pray at a certain time for the hardest areas hit, the area 404 area code. And the allowance of churches just putting different people on their websites, that's not something that's normal or even prior people would have thought through. A lot of the protectiveness that you saw prior is not there. It's almost like some of the secondary conversations that we wish we could have more faithfully and more communally have kind of faded away where there's a focus and a guide that we are actually in this together and we're probably much more alike than we are different. And this is a season that's presented to us the ability to see that. It's also taken away the ability for charisma to be the guide, the the churches that offer the best and most, that doesn't matter in a season like this. It's taken what we want as Christians and help us to see that we actually can move towards meeting needs and even seeing needs. And it's helping us ask these brand new questions that we've prayed maybe for decades, even centuries, that the body of Christ would step into. Would the church just step in and meet needs? The church is always the best version of itself when it's meeting needs. And collectively right now, I have to brag about the body of Christ because everyone is trying to ask those kinds of questions. It's given us a resolve. 
And it's also put us all in a space where we have to be dependent on God. It doesn't matter who has the best this or that. It doesn't matter how many times someone has done something. It matters what God is leading us into. And that's across denominations. It's all over the world right now. All of our eyes are gazing upon the same things, this new norm, this COVID-19. And it's giving us opportunities to collectively say, we need you, Jesus. So listening prayer has been our month. And it makes me kind of wonder, how much of this was God preparing us for before this? I know for me, at least, the last 10 years of ministry have been around conversations about the simple things in our faith, things about the table. We even have something called the table here. We lead a group around the table, things about prayer and contemplation, things about just a simple gathering, conversations about house churches. That was happening long before this, but it's interesting to me, but now it's actually the things that we can continue to do. It's almost like we're in a holding room and we're expressing ourselves the best way we can in the things that we've been given. And it's the simple spaces. And it feels like God was preparing us for this. It feels like the conversations that everyone was having about Sabbath helped us step into this space and gave us the room to create those spaces of the heart to be formed or prepared and to anticipate. Not to come up with our own best plan because we don't have a best plan right now. We just have dependence and we have listening and we have Dear God, we expect that you're going to show up. And so as I read these passages today, there's a sense that God is showing us how he prepared his disciples and how they were being led into something they didn't really know. I'm I'm reminded of a movie that I loved growing up called Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid. Daniel's son was the main character. I think you can just call him Daniel at this point. I think that's just what, uh, yeah, mm -hmm, Daniel. And one of the things that was always like this, like, aha moment for me was when he was being taught how to be good at karate. Maybe that's the way you say that. That's probably a better way to say that. And he was taught to wash cars, and he was frustrated by it because he was having to wax on, wax off. And somewhere along the movie, this aha moment happens for him that he realizes, oh my gosh, I've been being prepared for karate, not just cleaning cars. He ends up getting a car, which is pretty neat at some point. But the whole idea is these movements that he is having to learn he thought were for nothing, ended up being for everything, right? And I sense this in where we're at right now, that this is not like the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in heaven right now trying to come up with a plan for us, like being like, just hold on a minute, guys. But that the things that led us to this spot were a part of the plan, and that if we trust and if we lean into him, and if we can take notice of the invitations that, we can trust that he is going to pour out his presence and his spirit. He is going to be faithful. He is preparing a place for us. He is showing us how to enter our cities in a post-Christian society. And so you can open up to John 17. I'm going to read you the first 11 verses. Another, I think I say this a little too much, but this is another one of my favorite passages, right? Like this, this prayer of Jesus, this last kind of cry out as his disciples uh, as he's kind of distancing himself from them. This is Thursday. This is the day before he dies. He's in the upper room, and this is what it says. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I no longer in the world, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. This prayer to us, what I think I love about this prayer, whether it's his longest prayer or not, the one that we have recorded, it's a picture of Jesus who is God in flesh, showing us again that he listens to his Father. Even though he embodies who God is, he postures himself in humility again, again, and again, asking for the things that need to be done without demanding. And he postures himself, and his heart cries in this passage, crying specifically at the end, right before he knows what's about to happen, for those that he had with him and for those that he has loved that they might be one, that they would be protected so that they might be one. And I think of this passage and I think there's probably been a lot of abuse around this passage, around the idea of uniformity and selecting eight or ten things that if we can just be these things together, then we'll be good. And previous to this season, it was probably things like interpersonally or even inwardly, like appear to have it together, appear to be okay. Don't, you know, commune with people who aren't of God. Uh, make sure you don't dabble in those things. Things that aren't really like taking us deeper into the heart, but maybe are helping us be seen a certain way. Those aren't the things that he's talking about, that they may be one. There's actually a picture here that helps me understand it. Some scholars use and it's the idea that this is not uniformity, that he's not praying. Jesus isn't saying, make them uniform, almost like the picture of an army, like marching. But it's a picture of movement or interweaving. And the word used that I love the most is dancing. Actually, the phrase that I love is a, joy, a joyful interplay of glorious dancing is the kind of oneness that allows people who think differently at times, who believe in, their, in the way that they live their lives and express who they are and listen. They do things differently, but they're somehow able to continue to gather around the word of God and that Jesus is, right, Jesus is this eternal life. Jesus is the way. It reminds me of the passage in John 13, 35, and you can pull that up. The passage that I've quoted so many times, it's probably annoying at this point. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And in a season like this where people are asking some of the best questions that they've ever asked in their life, right? Like we're in a season that hasn't been this tricky to navigate since probably 
earlier than World War II. This is a kind of season that we haven't seen. We'll point back to this season years to come. Our kids will talk about it. It'll be a part of their lives. And people are asking such good questions right now. And they're wondering if the body of Christ has anything to offer. And Jesus was praying for them here because of what they were about to step into. But he was praying for us as well, that we may be one as they are one, that we may have a joyful interplay that almost looks like dancing, where it's beautiful and poetic and loving and full of spunk and spirit and lively. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus is praying for them in this dark spot for him where he's about to step into a situation where he was going to be killed, right? And the the disciples probably had to be asking the question, is Jesus dying or is he rising? The weekend's coming. Is he dying or rising? Because it looks a lot like death in this scenario. He looks like he's being taken to be killed. But I think he's inviting them to see how he's rising and how he's rising in them. And Jesus's absence now gives way, as as we move into another passage today, to the Holy Spirit then being gifted. He, he says to his disciples, right, like, I need you to wait. I need you to be still. I need you to wait. And I don't think that they would have waited if they had another option, right? Like the upper room in John 17 that they're in is there's a reason they're there. The reason they're there is because the pressures around them almost feel like, and it's because they were trying to find them to harm them. So there was harm possibly pressing in on them. So it kept them confined in spaces that would maybe protect them, but gave them the ability to sit and wait through things that helped the conversation to go deeper and deeper. And as we move into the next text, Acts chapter one, you see that Jesus, after his resurrection, has been appearing to his disciples and showing them things. Over a period of 40 days, he's just showing up and being like, hey, also this. And his disciples are interacting and they're waiting and waiting. But this passage is phenomenal because they're drawn back to the same place they were, possibly in John chapter 17. They're told, even post-resurrection, go back to that room, the upper room. I need you to go back there. And they have to be thinking probably at this point, like, we've been there a lot. We've waited, right? Like, I think it's time. And you, you can hear in the questions they're about to ask, they're like, I, I think it's time, right? We feel that even now, like it's time for that next thing. Like we feel the pressures as we're deciding what to do about regathering and not regathering. And I think it's, we're hearing that, I think it's time now, right? Like I think it's time, or it's time for you to set things right, right? But what if the things that are being set right are so much beyond just gathering back together? And if we were to gather too soon, maybe a month ago, what would that have maybe impeded that he was working in a deeper way? Like what, what if we've been waiting on the Spirit of God to come like it hasn't come before? And if we start back in the way it was now, maybe we miss the experience in Acts chapter 2. Maybe that's too broad of a stroke. But I like it. So I'm going to read you Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? love this question. We'll get to it in a minute. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on him, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight." And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, 
why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taking up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which was near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room and they were staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you I love too much about this passage. I love that they're waiting And even though they've seen all of this fascinating, unbelievable, undeniable, spiritual world, other kingdom-related things happening, their question is still, is now the time you're going to restore Jerusalem? Right? Like, what if that would have just been it? Right? It's almost as if, I love the way Williams Barclay puts this. He says that um, there are certain things that we aren't meant to know. And certain wants that we have are actually so small that they keep the promise too small. The promise is much broader than Jerusalem. The promise of just the nation restored. God's sovereignty, God's God's care, God's compassion, God's power as as it's manifested, is too large for one nation, right? It's too large for anything but the ecclesia. It's too large for anything but the kingdom of God on earth, which is all over. There's outposts everywhere. It's too large for any one nation to think that they can wield that power for the kingdom, right? It's the body of Christ, the ecclesia. It's the new kingdom, right? It's whatever you want to call it. It's the body. This is where That power is manifested, and it's manifested through love and compassion. There's another quote I want to read you, and you can pull this one up right now. Jesus spent his post-resurrection time with them, reinforcing all he had tried to teach them about the reign of God up to this point. No, it would not be like the return of the glorious old Davidic kingdom for which they longed. Jesus would not fulfill their rapidly disappearing hope of driving out the Romans doing in all the religious authorities, overthrowing the rich and powerful, and putting them in those places instead. The reign of God would, however, come riding on their shoulders. It would be on their shoulders through the work of their hands following the journeys of their feet. What is this realm of God? Is it just spiritual? Is it also social and political? What will it look like, feel like, sound like, taste like? How will it work? Who will be in charge of it? And what will be there in our roles in such a realm? When will it come? William Barclay offers this perspective that by the kingdom Jesus meant a society upon earth where God's will would be as perfectly done as it is in heaven. Because of that very fact, it would be a kingdom founded on love and not on power. So this coming reign of God will be characterized by love and its cousins, compassion, justice, not power and privilege, wealth or might. That almost makes me want to do a praise lap. And you wouldn't even see it on film. I would have to come back and tell you I did it. 
But this kind of kingdom is what he's trying to invite them into. And they ask, can you restore Jerusalem? And many of us are asking similar questions. And that's not something that we should hate ourselves for, but it gives us a litmus test to see where our heart is. When we're so confused, the questions that come out are good because they show us where we're off and where we're in need. He says to them, you want restoration for Jerusalem. I want restoration for the world from beyond. If you limit it to just those that you desire, it will not be my kingdom. It will be yours. And he actually came to destroy those kingdoms. So I love these questions. I love that he says to them, the answer isn't yes or no, but actually you guys are going to be my witnesses and I'm going to send you a helper. And also I need you to go back and I need you to wait in the upper room. And if I'm them, I'm like, Okay, sure, let's do, uh, we'll go back, we'll go back, we've been there, lots happened. I mean, just think about what happened in the upper room. All of the different scenarios that came out in that space, in the space they didn't want to be probably, that they had to be because of fear, that that was created by the society around them. You saw someone betray Jesus, you saw someone ask who's most powerful in the kingdom, you saw all these important things that become the essence of the gospel surface in that scenario, and they're told to go back there now. Wasn't enough done in that space of solitude and aloneness? Wasn't enough done in that close proximity of community where we were beginning to get frustrated with one another? Wasn't enough done? Isn't it time for the kingdom to surface now? No. And it's actually a Sabbath day's journey away, which to me um, makes me want to weep, and I don't even know why. But that statement confuses me, and I feel like it's, it can be abused, and I feel like I'm not even going to talk about it correctly. But a sa- just think about that statement, a Sabbath day's journey away. If you look up what that means, it means something under 2,000 cubits or about a half mile. Or within a city, that's about as long as you can go. And if you go any longer than that, it's considered work. And so you're breaking the covenant or the law because the journey you were supposed to take was one that was a Sabbath day's journey, which... You know, that's like under 2,000 cubits or just across the city or like a half mile. But if you walked more than that, it would be work. And so maybe what's being said here is this journey, guys, it won't be something you can work yourself towards. And maybe, maybe so many of the things God is offering us in this season is a Sabbath day's journey away, right? And I, this is where I could totally theologically get off base. But I can promise you the things I have found from a Sabbath day's journey are much richer and much more meaningful than the things that I found from a day's full of work. And the things that he offers us can't be worked for. And so I love this play on words, that they're to travel a Sabbath day's journey away to an upper room where they will wait. Sabbath, into deeper contemplation, into deeper communion. Sabbath as a doorway into a space where God prepares, where he's been preparing This is the place for them, right? And maybe it takes us stepping back into Sabbath and saying, I'm putting putting my tools away. I'm putting my opinions away. I'm putting what I think will accomplish this away. And I'm entering that space again, right? Some people call it the hidden space. Some people call it the secret space. Some people call it a devotional lifestyle. Some people call it their time with God. Some people have a room created in their house where they go and do it. Some people go to a cabin to do this. Some people fight, kick, scream to run away from this space because this is a space where things surface, right? This isn't a a space to accomplish. This is a space to reveal. 
This is a space to be formed, the space that a Sabbath day journey takes you to, to a space like the upper room, is a place where people are formed. It's a place of anticipation when you're in that space. I say the word space a lot. Somebody help me say less. It's a place where things are giving to them, where they're a little bit like the karate kid, like, why am I keeping doing this? And all of a sudden, oh my goodness, we are your witnesses to the world. And I needed all of it. I needed you to do that deeper work within me. I needed all of it. There's a rhythm in this Acts passage, and it looks like this. The places of the heart are carved out. And in the carving out of these places of the heart, right, like these simple places that we've seen already being restored, the table, house church, group time, connecting. It's not so much about a performance at a church anymore, and it's definitely not now. Even our entry route back into the world will be more like a group than a church service. These places of the heart are the simple places that we that don't seem fantastic enough. They don't look as much like restoring a city as they do like dealing with things that are under the surface. This is the place where God's doing work right now, right? Like this is our upper room. We're in our upper room right now being prepared, wanting out for sure, wanting to get out quick. Let's fix this city. But he's keeping them there. And even if they wanted to get out, he says, I need you to wait there. Wait, well, wait for what? Wait for the promise of my spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. Wait, wait for the, the healer. Wait for the comforter. Wait for the helper, right? And then you see as they wait, they wait. I imagine they begin to get antsy, but they, they devote themselves to, to praying. Like the things you can do no matter what, right? Like worst case scenario in your life, you're not allowed to speak or you'll be shot. You can pray. Right? Like the simplest of simple things is the admission, I need you, I need you, I need you, we need you, we need you. I ask that you would make us one as you are one. I, I desire that you bring healing. I desire to know what you're trying to do. He tells them, you go to that room that's a Sabbath day's journey away. You, you sit there together and you wait on me and you wait. And it reminds us of what he prayed in John chapter 17, that they would be one as we are one, in one accord, and rhythmic dancing. And don't get that picture that they're like rhythmically dancing in that room. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that happened. But I get the sense that they were willing to wait for what he wanted, and they didn't know what it would look like. And then if you read Acts 2, like, wow. There's nobody that could have predicted that. That's way too large for their minds to have grasped. It wouldn't have looked like that. Speaking in tongues of other languages, people hearing the gospel in their own language from people who don't speak their language, this is the fruition of this dream to the, to beyond Jerusalem. The language of the gospel is speaking to people in their own language, right? Like the passage of the Areopagus. I see where you're coming from. I understand what, what you're involved in. And here's the message of the gospel to you in your own language. What if we wait in this season for God? God to do what he wants to do? What if you've been being prepared, not just for two months, but for 20 years, 30 years? What are the invitations now? Who, who of us will, will spend the time we need to spend in these things that truly are like the embers of the gospel? If our hearts are being warmed, he is drawing us, but we are 
gathered around and devoted to the Word of God or the lively oracles or the Scriptures. We are devoted in prayer and the gathering of people. And someone told me today, and I love the phrase, it's not social distancing, it's physical distancing. Because you can still socially connect, and I have been. Like You can physically distance and socially connect. And so I love it. I love that. Now I'm understanding that that's probably a better phrase. And we should probably look at it like that. Because we're not socially distancing, we're physically distancing and we're socially connecting. And we can right now. And so... I'm going to just kind of bring it to a close with a couple of thoughts. On this Church Pulse weekly podcast, Mark Sayers does a beautiful job two episodes ago talking about how he's been traveling the world and talking with pastors for years. And he's recognized a common thread previous to this that seems to make sense now, that he would talk to pastors and they would say things like, it feels like this just is not working. I don't feel like my ministry is working. I don't feel like our church is vibrant. I don't feel like it's getting anywhere. It feels like just mundane, ritualistic kind of come and go, and everybody's really just living their lives elsewhere, hiding behind things or trying to go after the American dream or whatever dream, the Western dream. And it feels like he was collecting this data, and the idea to him was that people were coming to the end of themselves. And any time in history when something like renewal or revival or anything has happened, it's come on the heels of something that seems to interrupt those type of things. Something that would take us, something like a virus that would press us into a place where we feel like we're at the ends of ourselves. Where if God doesn't do something, something won't happen. Or worse yet, we'll continue to do the same things, producing the same results when he wants richness in his kingdom. Crisis seeds massive movements. Crisis seeds creativity. Crisis seeds adaptability and the, the ability to step in and, and to dream again. What if right now in this season, we're about to see the largest awakening of lively gospel that we've ever seen, right? What if we're about to step into that? And I'm going to say this right now, and I believe it, and you don't have to believe it, I believe that's about to happen. I, I feel whatever it feels like to have inner rumblings towards something that I can't even make sense with my words, that there is a move of God that is coming because there is a move of people asking for him. There is a group of people dependent on God now that has never been this many. And God always shows up. God always comes into those kinds of situations. And if we want what he wants, if we're willing to wait, it will be beautiful. There's three kinds of churches right now. There's ones that will die, and that's a horrible statistic in this season to think. But God doesn't desire that every church continue. He just desires that the global church continues because the global church is what he's using to spread the gospel. There's churches who will survive. It's like they'll sneak across the line and they'll be okay. And then there's churches who will thrive. And the churches who will thrive are the ones who will be able to adapt. And I want to be that kind of church. I want to be that kind of dad. I want to be that kind of husband that adapts to this new field at play and doesn't just require that we go back to like it was, right? Like, let's fix Jerusalem or let's fix America. What if it's about a better, healthier version of all of it? What if right now we take notice of how he's rising and not how things are dying? Because death is knocking on doors right now. People are locked in rooms physically, literally because they're afraid they will die. People are hearing reports that they have a virus and are afraid that they'll die. People are actually dying. So people are in spaces. 
what if we can shift our perspective and look at it in the way that we needed to look at it as he went into the passion after John 17? How is he rising? I have two people in this room right now that I've been wanting to brag about for weeks that I don't, I, I'm certain without this season, we would not have known how talented they were and how beneficial for the body of Christ they are. And one of them is Chris Finner, who is an amazing at video. I'm, I already know that he's not comfortable with me saying this. And the other one is Travis Stoker, who is an amazing sound tech. And God has surfaced in them an understanding that their gifts are actually like for such a time as this. And what if we can step back instead of requiring that we go back to the same, and I don't think like the video stream is the only answer for the future. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the ingenuity and the, the ability to dream and say, how, how is this going to happen? Like the, the gospel is the gospel. Jesus is the way. The Bible is the word of God. But how is this now going to, what can we get comfortable dreaming about what ways and who in our body like who is listening right now that you've started to feel like I can probably see there's a way that God could use how he skilled me for this next season and it to be meaningful and life-giving and fruitful and purpose-oriented what if we were able to actually take the invitations of how to be a better version of ourselves for the world in a season like this who feels the rumblings I feel the rumblings right like I want to I wanna thrive, and I actually feel faithful confidence that our church will because I know that we want to, and I know that we want to hear from him, and I know that if we do collectively feel like we do, whether listening to our city or him, we're going we're gonna to act on those things. We're not going to do anything stupid or, and this is just for you to know, like one of my temptations will be to have the best plan possible for reentry. I'll, I want to have like the most pristine, best looking, most thought through, like, wow, that guy really thought through it all. I'm not going to take the bait, right? Like I trust that Jesus will lead us into, and I trust that in a season where you're having to wait, you're going to press deeper into praying about how does this become more fruitful than just getting back together? Because getting back together is important, but the mission of the church is more important. Like the purpose of getting back together is so that those may be one with us as we are one with God. And this opportunity, even in a post-Christian society, is allowing us those kinds of conversations and those kinds of faithful activities to see that God is stirring faith, right? Like, that's what I want. I think I just preached a little bit, but I'm going to pray. God has been preparing us. God has been preparing you. God is not asking you to look a certain way, and I don't even think you feel that right now. God is labeling needs. God is doing deeper work. He's asking you to take a Sabbath day's journey into a space where you can wait, and he's going to show up. He's going to be faithful. He's going to pour out his spirit in ways that we haven't seen or ways we couldn't have decided or ways that we, if we would have picked, would just have been too small, right? Like it would have been, it would have made his gospel too little if we would have had our way with it, right? And there's no way to not do that without him. And so we have to back off and say, we're going to wait, even if it's uncomfortable. And in that waiting, we're going to be formed because you form us and you're with us. And then we're going to be the church that's sent because that's the end. That's the goal in Acts, is that they anticipate, and then they're a church on the move for God. And the story of the gospel is shared in beautiful ways, in ways that are applicable, not about building their own kingdoms, but about the kingdom of God, right? Like, instead of trying to wield the, the, the world's power to accomplish the kingdom's goal, he sends witnesses to bear witness to him 
through the word of their testimony and the blood of the lamb. It's a different model where love and its cousins, I love that language, compassion and justice are permeating the city and we're active, right? We're carrying the gospel on our shoulders and on our feet because we're being invited to do that because we're willing to wait and be formed, right? Like something was said today that broke my heart um, that many people right now because of kids ministry, and that's a topic of conversation churches are having. How do we realistically do kids ministry? Which in a lot of ways was just giving people what they desired instead of what's actually needed for kids. Not all kids ministry, but a lot of the attraction to a lot of kids ministries are about entertaining kids. And in a season like this, we're left to see like how many of our parents actually know how to spiritually guide our children, right? We've been relying on our Christian schools and our church to do that. And now that those kind of things aren't as accessible, you're left in a room with your kids or your friends and you're given the opportunity to be the one that leads and you're kind of hitting a wall realizing this is not comfortable for me. Press into that, right? This is a season to learn how to guide your kids and give them the things that they need. This is a season for the meaningful things that will last. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close. Let that language just settle in. What's just a Sabbath day's journey away? It's not a victory dance. A Sabbath day's journey away takes you to meaningful, deep places where you're formed. How are you being formed? What questions are surfacing in your heart that don't reveal what God will do, but reveal where you lack the wisdom of God? What needs do you have today? What needs can you meet today? Holy Spirit, we wait upon you. And we're not a people, as Henry Nouwen would say, who's very comfortable with mourning or very comfortable with ecstatic dancing. But we need to become a people who is better at both. We need to dance sloppily in celebration, and we need to sit and mourn when we need to sit and mourn. Where are you leading? What are you inviting us into? Help us, God, to be a church that thrives. And even still, God, the churches around us that are dying and don't even know how to ask for help, highlight those to our people right now as they listen. And if there's something that we can do, make it available for us to be able to respond to. How can we help other bodies that need help right now. Show us, God, how to be the body of Christ, how to be sisters and brothers to other churches. Jesus, I thank you for this body. I pray that you would help us gather back together soon in ways that are so honoring and so faith-filled and ecstatic with celebration, but also let us take this part of the journey with us where we don't just step away from contemplation and digging in. Help us to be a deeper people. Help the meal to be more robust. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love you guys very much. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.